here is where we're going to get to the stuff that really messed with my mind. Messed with my mind. Oh my gosh. I'm so excited yeah. to know what, what it is. Oh boy. Oh boy. Well, famous last words. We'll see how you really feel. This is exciting. You're like, not so much for me. <laughs> well, I don't know. We'll see. I told you I already have a headache. My mind is already like hot and oh. we have not even started talking. Oh, so your circuit breakers are overheating. I mean, this is what Sally does to you. But I will tell you, this is next level. This is Beautiful World, Where Are You? Recap. We are going up to page 146, chapter 15. The first thing I noticed, we can talk about something very easy to to ease us into it. The first thing I wanted to talk about is the timeline. The timeline is, first of all, less distinct than it was in normal people. In normal people was... By the end of the book, you're covering five years yes. or six years. And in this so far, it's going pretty quickly. Very little time has elapsed from the the beginning to this end of chapter 14. So there's maybe less unclear. need. I, but I think you're right. It doesn't really matter as much in this, but it, it is it is unclear. Yeah, well, Rome is what really keeps track of time. Mm, she true. says, I'm going, right. and then when she invites Felix, and then they go. So it couldn't be very long. A lot yeah. of time. No, right? no, not at all. But generally, I'll just start. What I'm loving about Alex, Alice and Felix, which I'm just going to call Alex as, as, you know, a combined name, <laughs> they really push each other out of their comfort zones, and they do it by simply being themselves. They're not yes. like saying, I have to push Alice out of her comfort zone. No, Felix is just inviting Alice to a party that is out of her comfort zone. And she goes and she expands a little bit, you know, just by doing that. And then she invites him to Rome, which I think is is yes. out of her comfort zone. And then because he doesn't want to go, he says he has no money. He's never been there. He, we get the idea that he doesn't travel a lot and she says something as audacious as I think you'll like it and he's like what the you don't know me and you don't know what I'm gonna like and so they really push each other but yet he says yes and he I suspect he has some inclination that she's right that he will like it and Mm -hmm. so he goes and he or he agrees and I love how they understand each other yeah without having had the same experiences. When Alice talks about her breakdown, which was, you know, from her her fame and not being able to kind of process it, Felix responds that he has, he has experienced something similar. Now, what he describes, I think, is a little bit more like depression. So those aren't the same. Yeah. Yeah. And and he didn't want to get out of bed and they aren't the same things, but they both recognize something bigger in one another. And and there is a similarity there, even in the differences. Uh, you know, and, and I think in this case, it's the humility that comes up when you realize that something is way bigger than yourself, something that you can't control or contain. And not everyone has that ex- that experience in their life or, underst- or can empathize. They can relate without directly relating it's not like oh you know this my like you just said Felix's mom died my mom died oh my mom died too which is a different it's a way of of connecting with someone and and sharing an experience but I don't there's just something about no theirs is you're absolutely right they eat like one of them will say something the other 
identifies with it in some way, but it's not in the same way to your point. And it's just, it makes them think of something else. But what I love, and this is what, what you're talking about, is that they both, for being relative strangers, right? I mean, they, oh, they, they yeah. haven't known each other for very long, still find a way to share things about themselves that you get the sense and maybe they even say it that they don't share with other people and yet they're both a little surprised that they're doing it but yet it seems kind of normal for them and but again like you said pushing them each out of their comfort zone I mean I don't think Alice goes around talking about her feelings I don't get the sense Felix does either but somehow together I mean and this is where and there is a a part and again because I have it in order but where you get the true, like Sally Rooney, like everything is relational. Alice and Felix as individuals are one thing, but how Alice and Felix are together is just a whole nother thing. Just like how Eileen and and Alice are a whole nother thing, you know? Mm, And even though you're still yourself, but it's like what what, what they bring out in each other. Yes, and I don't feel like we really saw that in Marianne and Connell. They had, there was a lot working for them, but it wasn't this particular thing. And for some reason, this particular, they can relate to each other, not directly, but but somehow still fundamentally. And I really, that I love. That's something I share with my husband. And it's just something that I, I really, that I'm really drawn to. Right. And she tries to figure it out. I think, I think around page 100, you know, she's like, what, in trying to understand what it is about her and Felix the particular combination of our individual personalities the next paragraph I had highlighted that too I mean he says to be really honest I actually think it's more the fact that I like you and then when you act badly it drives me up the wall and of course that's it you know he he cares and so then when she acts indifferent or or is annoying he's like fuck I know what this feeling is I actually like her and now it's pissing me off (laughs) like Oh, that's what this is. It's a very particular type of attraction to one another. And I I don't know. I really love it. So they, this conversation ends as poorly as many of the other ones have, which is to say nothing happens between them. And, you know, she's there. They were sitting on the bed. He touches her knee in a friendly way, which is to say not at all, you know, suggestive or sexual. But she cannot deny that this conversation has had an effect on them. And so she, Sally Rooney writes, their conversation seemed to have had some effect on them both, but it was impossible to decipher the nature of the effect, its meaning, how it felt to them at that moment, whether it was something shared between them or something about which they felt differently. And I'm like, oh my God, this is the story of my life <laughs> and and my relationship. <laughs> I was complaining a lot in the first one about Eileen and Simon and how they understand each other but don't communicate properly and I was like this is the thing is my husband and I will experience the same thing and until we've talked about it I can now guess that he will have experienced it very differently than I have and it's like oh my god what that's what you took away like that's what you got out of that experience and it never ceases to amaze me and it really has not changed at all the for the entirety of our relationship 
that we will experience the exact same thing and yet have different takeaways, which I guess is the inverse of having different experiences and feeling the exact same way. But I guess it's, it's really the two sides of the two same coin. Two sides of the same thing. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, and that's it. what she's tapping into with these two. Exactly. And I think you're totally right. It would be, it would not feel the same if it was, oh yeah, my mom died. Oh, so did my mom. You know, I mean, again, that does happen a lot, but this is different. They're like a, click off of what the other one's saying but yet it then it's clicking back in I don't know it's something I've experienced my whole life and I don't I didn't I, I never remotely had a way of processing it and articulating it until I've started reading this book which is exactly why it's, it's messing with my head because she does that I don't know how she does it and she does it and I don't consider myself a a fool or be someone who doesn't like think hard about these things and yet I had no access to understanding it until I started reading this book and, and it's it's amazing yeah when they have that conversation about what what she calls like the you know we both did bad things you know which is probably the most an okay I was gonna say that's the most one for one kind of thing even though it's not exactly but you know he shares a lot of like what he views to be the worst things he's ever done and I think she did try to be like oh I've done bad things too but but even that I love that that then they don't try to really make the other one feel better you know it's oh it wasn't that bad or whatever you know there's he says something like I can't she says, like, I can't make it better what you did. And you can't make it better for me either. So maybe we're both bad people. But yet you feel in that moment that they don't both feel like bad people. Right. But, uh, nor do they think of each other, right, in that way. Mm -hmm. Yes. That one I was like, oh. And I love what she tells Eileen later on. Mm -hmm. She's like, well, it's not my place to absolve him yes. of his wrongdoing because there's probably a third person that was very seriously and permanently damaged by what he's done to them so I can't forgive I can't, him right. I can't make that okay but at the same time she says I really believed his remorse was was genuine and honest and so that enough is enough to her to mm -hmm. say this is not a bad person I can you know I can move forward this is not a red flag it's just a somebody who made a mistake and did something that, exactly. that they don't think is good. Yeah. discussion on forgiveness and atonement. I'm like, oh mm -hmm. my God, Sally. <laughs> Jesus. Yes. So, yes. so good. The one that you were talking about when they kind of confess these things and Alice says, I know ex it doesn't have to be one for one about the quote unquote bad things they've done, but she knows exactly how it feels, that panicky feeling just feeling you're sick to your stomach when she thinks about the bad things she's done. And I was just thinking about how that difference between love and hate and how that fine line I always talk about and how there's like really no – well, it's pretty well established that there's no awareness in your body of the difference between being nervous and excited and how top athletes are mentally trained to identify those feelings as good – positive like use this energy to it's not negative it's not fear-based and you can kind of train your mind that way but that you know the sweating the you know that nervous feeling is can just as easily be called excitement if you call it that and that's how I feel about love and hate your heart I mean have you have you ever gotten an email or anything you know or talk to someone and like 
your heart races, you're, you're so everything is so intense, but also fuzzy and blurry and full of clarity. I don't know how that happens. But that's how I feel. And it's my reaction for feeling love and also anger. And so it, it goes in either direction. And I feel like she's really capturing that, that what is this? And uh, we don't know. I mean, we assume it's going to go in the direction of love, but who knows with those right. two? We don't know, but they're feeling something very strongly. And that's and that's why I think you love this, the thin line between love and hate. I mean, I know we've said this a million times that the cliche line of the opposite of love is indifference, but it is. I mean, with people who go back and forth between the love and hate and and all those conflicting emotions you just described that's feeling something so there's for the love of god i don't know what it is but it is something what i love about what she's doing is that it's not over dramatized they're not like throwing glasses at each other like the the love is not like trope right yes right of love and hate this is like she she emails eileen and she she emails pages and pages and then very reluctantly at the end says, I might as well tell you that I've slept with Felix. And you can see, I, she's like, I don't really want to tell you, but it would be weird not to. I'm not embarrassed, or maybe I am, but not by him. And she goes on to say that our lives have been different in basically every respect. And although that I do feel in a strange way that we've taken root, different routes to reach similar points, and there's a lot we recognize in one another. You wouldn't believe how long it's taken me to write this paragraph. I feel so frightened of being hurt, not the suffering, which I know I can handle, but the indignity of suffering, the indignity of being open to it. I have a terrible crush on him and get very excited and idiotic when he shows me affection. And and it's just this idea that, and we talked about it a lot in Foodie Love because I think it was really well done there too, how falling in love can be very, very uncomfortable terrifying even something like when you're really falling not just the kind of like oh is this something when you're really falling it is not always something to be that that all of us welcome right it is something that that instills some discomfort or negative feelings Mm -hmm. as clearly Alice is is describing to her friend Eileen here. It is not all like rosy cheeks and wonderfulness. No, and no. that's the thin line. It, it's not quite hate, but it's the it's the opposite reaction to what love brings you. It's not always this fairy tale. It, it's also terrifying and uncomfortable. And, and unsettling. Brings up, and, yeah, yeah, unsettling is perfect because I, I think of like a lake. It You know, you, you mix up the bottom of a lake and there's a lot of shit comes up. <laughs> Yes, a lot of shit comes exactly. up. Exactly. And she's been through so, a lot of shit. So I think, you know, this is, they're, they're so interesting, the two of them, I think. <sighs> I yes, mean, I do too. Obviously, they're really, they're really getting me. But the stuff that really messed with my head, really, really messed with my head was, was in a lot of the emails. Mm, oh, the emails. There's a lot. Oh. Oh a gosh. lot. I, I said in the first, in the intro one, that the emails were my favorite. And at that point, you know, we had only gotten a taste of them. And now I'm like, oh, man. Yeah. I thought there were going to be a lot of, you know, uh, Dublin is flat and how the sky is oppressive and, right. you know, Marxism. Oh, God, no. There's a, mm. there's so much more. There's, there's so much. Like sexuality, 
the meaning of life, uh, the, the celebrity. There's a lot. There's a right, lot. Writing, of course, we know her own struggles with the literary yeah. world and fame and, and yeah, fame mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. just feelings. Like it's like yeah, like we even read in the first one. There's just lines where you're like just just it's three lines and it's got so much one that I kind of alluded to on the last one was which was one of the first times where I felt like it reminded me so much of of our emails was just how Alice will each of them will but in this instance how Alice kind of called her out Eileen for for things and and doesn't just you know they don't just like give each other a pass on page 45 which was is the first chapter of this section we're talking about eileen is writing to alice about the feelings she had when she ran into aiden and i just thought this was because you know she is struggling a little bit with she's googling him and all this and she wrote about how she saw him on the street and i i don't know i just i think this is so such an interesting description of of running into an ex she says i'm probably thinking about all this now because i saw aiden randomly on the street the other day and immediately had a heart attack and died (laughs) every subsequent hour since i saw him has been worse than the last or is it just the pain i feel right now is so intense that it transcends my ability to reconstruct the pain i felt at the time Presumably, remembered suffering never feels as bad as present suffering, even if it was really a lot worse. We can't remember how much worse it was because remembering is weaker than experiencing. So first of all, I'm like, holy shit. Oh, my God. Right? (laughs) I mean, okay. And so then she's talking about the middle-aged people. But then she says, still, my intuition is that I actually feel worse now, two days after seeing Aiden, than I felt in the moment of seeing him. I know that what happened between us was just an event and not a symbol, just something that happened or something he did and not an inevitable manifestation of my failure in life generally. But when I saw him, it was like going through it all over again. And Alice, I do feel like a failure. And in a way, my life really is nothing. And very few people care what happens in it. It's so hard to see the point sometimes when the things in life I think are meaningful turn out to mean nothing. And the people who are supposed to love me don't. And then she says, I have tears in my eyes even typing this stupid email. And I have nearly six months to get over it. And I'm starting to wonder if I just never will. I mean, and then she basically just goes on to say, like, she just feels like that one moment has defined who she is. You know, I've Mm -hmm. always, and now I just feel like the kind of person whose life partner would fall out of love with them after several years. And I can't find a way not to be that kind of person anymore mm-hmm. yes. oh god and yes. I mean, uh, yeah 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 and see now I, I was like oh please I did, could not relate to that at all it was beautiful writing I loved it but then I love Alice's response it's so good which is so simple and this is where like my husband will call me a robot sometimes like what is your problem exactly (laughs) on page 64 alice says i'm only saying this because i don't want you to start retroactively believing that aiden was your soulmate (laughs) or that you could never be happy with him without him you got into a long relationship in your 20s that didn't work out (laughs) 
Mm-hmm. Stop it, basically. That doesn't mean God has marked you out for a life of failure and misery. I was in a long relationship in my 20s and that didn't work out, remember? And Simon and Natalie were together for nearly five years before they broke up. Do you think he's a failure or I am? Hmm. Well, now that I think about it, maybe all three of us are. But so I'd rather be a failure than a success. I I was like, oh, Alice. Exactly. Thank you. Exactly. Yes. Great response. But I do think what what it wasn't that I related so strongly to what Eileen said in her email. It was more just I was sort of in awe of Sally Rooney in that one. Mm. And just the description of that that what happens when you see someone that, you know, see the ex and then thinking about you make such a bigger deal out of things than they need to be and I then but again I love that Alice puts it back in perspective for her and that to me like I said in the last one is what I love about their friendship is this back and forth like all right all right yep you kind of yeah. had your pity party but let me let me tell you why like he's not your soul yeah okay yeah but you're saying you don't necessarily relate and I'm not saying you do like one for one but I can't relate at all and I do think part of it is the fixed sign versus the cardinal sign whereas just in the cardinal sign like me and and you're the fixed just is always future looking always future looking and so the past just doesn't carry much weight in my life and that's and it's not to say that you don't think about the future but the past weight for you as just oh yeah your astrological sign goes yeah you know so okay I didn't think of it from that sense oh yeah no I yeah definitely I think that's that's definitely part of it so you know I I do think that there are lots of people that can relate I do think it's not just me and Alice I do I do think there are plenty of other people that just don't relate on that level because it's always future looking and not the past you know having any sort of hold I'm like whatever the past has no hold on me it's over (laughs) it is over now if if the past when the past comes to your present and and maybe threatens or requests those are two the same thing to be part of your future that's where it can be a little more tricky and we'll talk about that later but yeah um yeah so but I did enjoy reading all of that I really did Oh God. Okay. Here's okay. Here's another big one. I think I saved this one. Obviously. <laughs> oh Lord. I mean, talk about. I don't even know where to start. I don't know how to approach. This is the email that starts on page ninety-eight. Oh my gosh. Okay. So she starts out basically. Eileen has asked her, "What's up with Felix? What are you? What's going on?" And she says, "You know." We went on one unsuccessful date. Nothing has happened. And she says, I suppose what you're really asking is not whether particular sexual acts have taken place between us, but whether my relationship with him has a sexual aspect overall. I think it does. But then I think that about every relationship. I wish there was a good theory of sexuality out there for me to read. All the existing theories seem to be mostly about gender. But what about sex itself? Oh, Lord. Then she just launches into a hundred things that made me, Mm -hmm. my mind explode. Where's the vocabulary? Where's the discussions? Where is anything around that? I mean. That's what she says. The more, the more, the more she thinks about it. 
sexuality, yeah. the more confusing and various it seems to me, and the more paltry our ways of talking about it. It's exactly true. And oh then gosh. she seems to, though, find the words. Jesus, I'm like, you've yeah. already raised a discussion or a means of talking about it you've, that that I've never read before or, as uh, you're that's saying, so thought true. about. Yeah. And I'm like, you're doing it, Sally. Thank you yeah. very much. But you're right. It's... It's, it's the, not don't something seem to have the, the words. Right. And I guess she's still searching for answers, but she's she asking is. questions that I've never heard asked before. Like at the bottom of that same page on 98, she goes on to say, you know, she thinks about sex without having sex and what is it? And she says, this suggests that sexuality has some other content which is not about the act of sex and maybe even a majority of our sexual experiences are mostly this other so what is the other now this i'm not pretending to be half as smart as sally rooney but this i felt like there was an answer to this to me is desire and that's really what i'm talking about when i'm saying my relationships are in part driven by sexuality i think it's desire do I desire this person? Do they desire me? Uh, is desire off the table? Is Do we like check in with our desire and then set it aside? Or is there just no desire in that way? Like there is, that's to me the thing that is other and that has nothing to do with sex, right? It has nothing to do yeah. with the, the act no, of she, intercourse, right? She sort of talks about that. It seems to me we walk around all the time feeling these absurdly strong impulses and desires, strong enough to make us want to ruin our own lives and sabotage our marriages and careers, but nobody's really trying to explain what the desires are or where they come from. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. And I know part of this passage that we're reading is is – so that we'll learn that she's bisexual or casually bisexual, and I understand, and so is Felix. We learn as well, but but this is a much bigger oh yeah point she's right. making. Here. No, she's like, going oh, way beyond that. I mean, she way, says it because that's almost already... like a throwaway. Like, yeah, yeah, great, okay, we know that she. They both yeah. kind of admitted they've they are kind yeah. of just into who they're into. Yes, cool. well, and so that was the other thing that I, that I started thinking. I mean, I mean, you're jumping way down to the bottom of 99, and I'm like, I have four million questions before we even get to that part. So she says, for me, realizing that I like both men and women was maybe one percent of the process, maybe not even that much. And that, I mean, that's what made me think. I completely agree with that because there's one level sexuality is about attraction, right? Who you're attracted to. Some people are attracted to men. Some people are attracted to women. Some people are attracted to both. But attracted is there's the most people that you could be attracted to. Then there's people, do you want to engage with them intimately? Do you want to kiss them? Do you want to touch them? Do you want to have sex with them? And then that narrows down. Like if you're looking at an inverse pyramid, right, then that narrows down even more. And then if you think about who you can love, that's even yeah, smaller. But it right. has to mm -hmm. start from the same level. So yeah, like to her point, who I'm attracted to is 1% of the process, maybe not even that much. I agree with that. And she says, almost all the other questions I have about my sexual identity seem more complicated with no obvious way of finding answers and maybe even no language to articulate the answers if I did find them. How are we supposed to determine what kind of sex we enjoy and why? I mean, that blew my mind. And I started thinking about, we had talked about it on a, another episode, how 
I can be very free with my sexuality and intimacy, very uninhibited, but only when I'm in a committed relationship. Now, it's not because I don't, I have no problem with people who want to explore their sexuality with relative strangers. There's no moral judgment. The fact is I can't do it. I'm just too tightly wound and I can't be vulnerable in that way. But then once I am, it it all unlocks. And so, but that, even that's something like, no one told me that about me. And how come there's another woman who's exactly like me, you know, in the world who can have sex on the first date and with a stranger or, and, you know, relishes in that and enjoys it as part of her freedom and her uninhibited nature. Why is mine different? And why do we never talk about these things? It is only spoken about in terms of morality. And I'm not talking about it that way. I'm talking about really, truly what we each like, what kind of sex we enjoy and why. There's no conversations like that. Nope, no, none. (laughs) <laughs> like zero. Speaking of someone who's tried to like start some of these, not quite in this way, but with her friends and whatnot. No, 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 no. People look at you like you're crazy. Yeah, I guess. It- or what sex means to us, she says in the next mm-hmm. line, and how much of it we want to have and in what context. What can that- we learn about ourselves through oh these gosh. aspects of our sexual personalities? And where's, where's the, terminology? the terminology for all of this? I- Right. And that's her point. She's like, oh, okay, I'm bisexual because I'm attracted to men and women. Not all men and all women. It's certain people. And there's no context for any of these things. And what does it mean to be attracted to someone? And then how can you be, there's someone you can look at and be like, oh, I'm attracted to that person. Yeah. And then you flirt. And then as soon as you like kiss them, it all like goes away. Like it doesn't. Or talk to them. You don't even have to get that far. You could have a conversation and be like, oh, oh, no, no. Like because of something they said or their relative intelligence, whatever. You're just like, oh, no, it's just killed. It's gone. In the first five seconds. But yet there was still that that attraction. So what is that? And then if that wasn't enough, I mean, I really think I had to put the book down just reading page 98 and 99. And then we get to page 100. And I'm like, oh, Jesus Christ, there we go again. More of this. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And she says she thinks about human relationships as something soft like sand or water. And then we pour them into particular this vessels so good. right, to give them shape. For instance, you can pour a mother's relationship with her daughter is poured into a vessel marked mother and child. And then the relationship takes on the contours of that container and is held inside there for better or for worse. And then she goes, but what would it be like to form a relationship with no preordained shape of any kind? Mm -hmm. Just pour the water out and let it fall. I suppose it would take no shape and run off in all directions. That's a little like myself and Felix, I think. There's no obvious path forward by which any relation between us can proceed. I don't believe he would describe me as a friend because he has friends and the way he relates to them is different than the way he relates to me. He's much more removed from me than I think he is from them, but at the same time, in certain senses, we're closer because there are no boundaries or conventions by which our relationship is constrained. Oh boy. And this brought me back to what we talked about in the first episode, which is, you know, the, these relationships between two women, we were talking in particular about Alice and Eileen, but we were talking about it for you and I and other relationships that we both might have or have had that, is, that are intense, that are intellectual, and that are 
incredibly intimate, but don't fit in any container. Like those things, intimate, intense, and intellectual, that doesn't scream, oh yeah, oh that's, right, that's, that's your best friend, or that's your, that's your husband or wife or partner. It defies any categorization. And you can't just pour it into the nice little form. That I that really blew my mind. Yeah, and this I I was oh, this was I was like this is classic Sally Rooney right here to me. Yeah, you read this before when we were yeah, talking a little, about a little bit after. Yeah, yeah, that how the method by which we relate to one another or the absence of method. Oh boy, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's just and she says maybe eventually we'll drop out of each other's lives or become friends after all or something else. But whatever happens will at least be the result of this experiment which feels at times like it's going badly wrong and other times feels like the only kind of relationship worth having. Oh, I love that. (laughs) She's like, I have no fucking idea what's going on. It's called having a relationship. And sometimes it's this and sometimes it's that. And And this, this can be like the great love of my life or we could break up and it's over. Who knows? Who knows? And in any moment, she could be going very badly. Or other times it feels amazing, but sometimes he annoys me and sometimes it feels great. And like you said, she's earlier, it's not the extreme. She doesn't play the like the love, hate. It's subtle, but it's, that's why I said it, but it's realistic. Yes. She and it's, really and it's real. She's it. really feeling strongly yes. for him. She just doesn't kind yes. of know what to make of it. It's confusing. I mean, I even love the rest in that email, which we don't have to get, we've, we've covered so much of it, but, but just the, her, these, I think you have the wrong instincts for beauty, how she sees beauty in, in, in Rome. And mm-hmm. I don't know. I was like, oh, I really, I, there are, there are hopeful parts. Absolutely. There are, there are. Alice yeah. can be hopeful. She, yeah. Absolutely. They do take turns with that a little bit in the emails, which I like too. I, I do like that too. Yeah. And that's where, you know, I, you saying that is just reminds me of what I said. I get pinned as the curmudgeon, like I don't believe in the fantasy and the romance and, and all these things because I'm so practical about relationships and how much work they are and how much you have to kind of keep it going and, and whatever. But they're not exclusive. And you saying right. that, of course, I'm like, of course she is. She's hopeful. And because you can be both of those things. You can be practical and live in a fantasy. And I, like I said in Nine Perfect Strangers, it's more, it's not about the idea of living that fantasy. It's about letting that fantasy be a tool for you to use in your real life. And so, yes. of course, she's hopeful. So we have to talk at some point about her thoughts on the, you know, novel and writing and whatnot. But Okay, so you want to talk about that? Let's talk about that. I have two things. I have celebrity and I have the meaning of life. And I think celebrity, that's, I think, I, is what we're talking okay. about. Okay. Yeah, right? I, I, okay. Right? I, because it's a very specific celebrity, meaning being a yes. celebrity author. I, I put this under Sally Rooney talking about herself. <laughs> is what I. Yeah. Right. Which, so this part, this was the first part that really disturbed me. I'm looking at, right, page. 5960 we talk about that authors are are our celebrities or yes. showrunners or all these creatives right. and i you know i don't know subconsciously or or something fundamental to my position was an idea that 
that was a better thing to revere. You should be revering these people and their minds yes. and their creativity and their imaginations. And that's that what, is, what she said is about. I mean, I literally am like, oh wait, is she questioning or what she said? She this is. is. She yes. Is. But, I, and so I kind of thought like, look at us, we're better because most people, you know, elevate someone with a nice ass or a, you know, pretty hair. These are the people who are revered as celebrities and we have elevated that. But basically she leveled me by saying, no, you shouldn't revere anyone or anything. Like Mm. it is still stupid that you think that, that I have anything to do with what I've produced. You might like my book, but why do you care about me? And I can't, it leveled me, but I ultimately think I don't agree. She would not be a fan of our what she said is what literally I wrote next to this. Like, what does it have to do with anything? What is the relationship of the famous author to their famous books anyway? And Ooh. what do the books gain? She writes, what do the books gain by being attached to me, my face, my mannerisms in all their demoralizing specificity? Nothing. So why? Why is it done this way? Whose interest does it serve? It makes me miserable, keeps me away from the one thing in my life that has any meaning, contributes nothing to the public interest, satisfies only the basest and most purient curiosities on the part of the reader, and serves to arrange literary discourse entirely around the domineering figure of the author, whose lifestyle and idiosyncrasies must be picked over in lurid detail for no reason. Now, I'm not sure... That's a, that's not actually what we do in what she said. We really are talking about their ideas and their thoughts about life. It is their deeper thoughts than than simply a writer's idiosyncrasies. But yet, I mean, I think her point would be that's, you know, that's all you're really looking at is my my facial expressions, my mannerisms, my accent is really all you're he- hearing. But that's not what we're taking away from it. So... I don't know. It's not quite as clear, but I just, I couldn't answer any of her questions and that bothered me, you know, for myself. (laughs) But the fact of the matter is I don't, I don't, and I still don't really have an answer, but the truth is knowing about these creators that have created something that we adore, you know, like a Sally Rooney, like a Michaela Cole, like a Liz Feldman, it matters. It really does matter. And every time we oh Phoebe Waller Bridge. Every yeah. time we deep dive into more of what that person has to say, and more of it in a first person nonfiction angle, it matters. It really it enhances the work for us, and that's exactly why we do what she said a segment on our regular episodes, and it brings me a lot of joy, and it really for me enriches the entire experience. Now I don't know why. I don't think it's my basest instinct or anything like that. I don't know what it is, though. And I, I don't – I wish I had a better answer. Yeah. No, I, it really did when I read this. I it, it did call that into question. Like I said, that, that was my note next to it. But I think I came away the same as you. Like, I don't I don't know that I agree with her. I, I, I guess it <laughs> seems from what we've read mm-hmm. that, but that the experience for her – has really caused her to question a lot of things like the fame that she has achieved particularly post normal people and and the hulu adaptation and 
and she's struggling with it here. And so I just took it as that, like she's raising very interesting points. And I think she's seen a lot of things, good and bad, that have come from her writing. I think she yeah. later gets into, in, in more of the email, some of her distaste, I think, for her fellow authors. Yes. Um, I, and how disconnected well, perhaps they are with real life. And maybe that's Right. So that was my other, that, yeah, that was my other point yeah. of the, the meaning of life. How can you write about real life when you're when, not really writing about Right. what the majority of most experiences are. You're writing from a very distinct point of view, one of privilege that, that you can do this. But I love the part where she says, it's on 103, did the protagonist break up or stay together? In this world, what does it matter? So the novel works by suppressing the truth of the world, packing it tightly down underneath the glittering surface of the text. And we care once again, as we do in real life, whether people break up or stay together, if and only if we have successfully forgotten about all the things more important than that, i.e. everything. <laughs> you know? And Alice says, my own work is, goes without saying, the worst culprit. And for this reason, I don't think I'll ever write a novel again. <laughs> and, and this is one case where I loved Eileen's response to this. I was going to say, I hope you turn the corner for Eileen with this one because I feel like this her response is everything to me absolutely absolutely and she's like appalled on page 118 after all when people are lying on their deathbeds don't they always start talking about their spouses and children and I love this line Mm. and isn't death just the apocalypse in the first person so good (laughs) it's so good and she goes on to say so in that sense there's nothing bigger than what you so derisively call breaking up or staying together there's an exclamation mark in parentheses because at the end of our lives when there's nothing left in front of us it's the only thing we want to talk about Uh, and yeah so I mean uh, we uh, and Eileen does go on to say she understands what Alice is saying and, and the whole point of what she's saying, but also you can't diminish how important the relationships, the quality of our lives are defined by the relationships that we have. And that feels incredibly true no matter your socioeconomic set, uh, status or or where in the world you live or if you're ravaged by war or, you know, living in some palace like it doesn't matter it's the great equalizer those things are true for everyone you're right and she says at the end of that paragraph and i love that about humanity and in fact it's the very reason i root for us to survive because we are so stupid about each other it's true i love that too we're so stupid Uh, about each other so stupid now, it's worth noting that this is extremely self-serving for Sally Rooney, yes. right? Because this is what she writes. But but I will say that debate background is really coming in, serving her well here because she makes a very compelling argument that it is actually true. But it just so happens to be a necessary thing for her to believe in order to carry on with her life. So I'm okay. I'm good with that. I'm good with it that. It is. But I, but I thought the same thing. And I do wonder how people will react to there. I lot, do too. Oh my gosh. In here so far, we're only at 146, about of her struggle. And there, there will be people, I'm sure, that will be like, yeah, all right, Sally. I'm glad you're working through the fact that you are a three-time New York Times bestseller. Well, she's about to be a three-time New York Times. You know, and had all the fame and a little bit of the, you know, wah-wah. I think there will be people who don't... Whereas 
I actually find this debate interesting that she's having, but we're really into authors and writing and, you know, again, even though we don't. And we're really, we're, we're smart, driven, successful career women. And yet I am fully on with all that matters is our relationships and like a marriage and a, and a partner and a, like, this is, this is everything. And so you know, it it doesn't feel contradictory to me that that I that I would feel this way. That I would also feel like that is the most important thing, no matter what else is going on. It's your relationships and how important that is. Yeah. Yes, and I do think a lot of people read for that or watch movies or TV for that. So, you know, I don't know. But she is shitting on authors a little bit. You know, there's that the, the part we were talking about. They're basically disconnected. They all they care about is going from their publicity tour to their publicity tour. And what do they know of real life? I mean, yeah. Okay. And it, the self-loathing is real. She has a distorted view of of what she's actually doing here. But I keep, it's on page 60, I keep encountering this person who is myself. And I hate her with all my energy. I hate her ways of expressing herself. I hate her appearance. I hate her opinions about everything. And yet, when other people read about her, they believe she is me. Confronting this fact makes me feel I am already dead. It is definitely something she struggles with. Well, we've had nothing on Eileen and Simon, really. Yeah, we have to talk about Eileen and Simon and their burgeoning romance and whether you think they're communicating better. This is what I want to know. Whether whether Corinne thinks they're actually speaking more clearly now. Well, okay. Well, what are we where are we what are we talking about? Well, so well they do say I love you to each other. But <laughs> okay. I love I mean I love the scene where it's in chapter 7. I mean the phone sex scene. I mean where where just the way I don't know. I just think the way Sally Rooney writes that just where she's pretending to be not pretending to be but suggesting that you know you need a little wife for yourself and she essentially recounts in this very vivid detail what this hypothetical wife would do to him and with him when she gets home from work and so and that's fine it's this shows their their sort of connection and and the the heat there but I love when she, for me, when she starts digressing into making it personal, you know, because it's very easy to talk about this fictional wife and remove herself from the situation when meanwhile, it's clearly uh, Eileen who would like to be, you know, the wife or certainly the one there taking the clothes off and uh, with him. And so when she's doing that, you know, it seems like she's sort of acting out a part or like writing the part of someone else, but... But then when she digresses and sort of starts talking about, you know, what they did in Paris and, you know, she says, I know a lot about you, but that's a side of you I don't know, how you act with a woman you love. The reason I said that thing about your wife giving you head, I think subconsciously I brought that up because it's something I like to think about. Do you remember we did that in Paris? And see, I was thinking of your point. I'm like, see, now, although she'd been sort of playing a little bit of a game, she does in the middle of it break into being truthful like okay so you don't think that's truthful i'm i don't know it's so hard to see this is what i imagine of 
when women are generalized as playing head games with men. This is exactly what I picture. Oh my God, that, because I don't even know how to play a head game. I wouldn't know the first thing about oh, it. And well, so, this is it. This is it. Okay. But okay, but if she I likes see, him, I view this as her saying, like, this is making me think of what you and I did. Right. But back up. The whole thing is, why isn't she saying, this is what I'm going to do to you? Yeah. This is what no, I that's want what I said. to I do I did not you. like it at first. I was like, hmm... But then she breaks into these moments of truth, including where she says she, that no, that I don't she know hopes. that I understand a moment of truth. It's that's like a little bit. Pregnant. She's telling her feelings versus no, pretending to still, play this part. No, but she is still. It is very much couched in and does not change. Now, maybe if she had changed over and had not gone back to the fantasy, I would argue something. Maybe, maybe I'm not sure. Different. Well, how about when she breaks out and says, I hope during your fantasy you're actually thinking about me. That's not being more direct. Well, does she want to be with him or not? Because I would imagine if this is someone talking to me, I would be very confused. Are you saying, are you helping me fantasize about my my wife? And then like, but remember me. And when you're married and you're happy and you're in this other life, think of me. I don't understand how after all of that, the nostalgia that she brings up, that's when he comes. I'm like, I don't, I'm not buying any of this, but okay. Well, because that's when it brings it to reality for him. Like that really what he, it's not for this pretend person she's talking about. The thing that made him come was thinking about her. Yeah, but what she says is. That's the genuine connection. If, but what she says is, if you're still thinking about it all those years later when you're in bed with your wife, maybe it was special. Some things are. And that's when he comes. Well, but he's still, she's still saying, if you think of me all these years later in bed with your wife, like what, what's that? Why, why bring it back to that? That's what I don't understand. It feels very confusing to me. Well, the whole thing is definitely you're you're you're. I'm not disagreeing that the whole thing was is in the context of a bit of a game here. There's no doubt about that. I mean, she's talking about a pretend wife who doesn't exist. So, yeah. I mean, it's certainly not so why a not full just fledged say, but, moment of because this is what Sally Rooney does. They, I guess you, I don't it, like. Know she that can't I, be vulnerable. Like, no. Look, I understand the idea that you can't be vulnerable and to say those things to someone's face. They're on the phone, and she could have said, "So this is what I'm going to do to you." And it it definitely removes a layer of vulnerability. It's all definitely. fantasy. It's not real. I'm not talking to your face. I'm not actually touching you. So therefore, that's enough removed. I don't understand the wife thing. It that feels un, untruthful in a way that I don't. I just don't get. Wait, so you're saying it, it does re- definitely removes the layer of vulnerability. So isn't that the point? What do you mean then Then why the wife? Wasn't that how she did it? No, the removal of the layer is being on the phone, not face to face. The removal of the layer is saying it's a fantasy. Oh, but that's not removing vulnerability. Yes, it is. Talk- it's different than being with the person and actually yeah, well, doing okay, the Okay, but they couldn't be there. I mean, like, okay, so they weren't physically in the same place, but... I think it's still someone has to be pretty vulnerable to to if sure under your pretty. scenario if you if you did the if you can't be literally in the same place as the person then having them on the phone and sharing what you would do with them is very vulnerable. I think it's so, vulnerable. Is I think right they being doing it face to face. Now I know that in this moment they're not together, but 
they right. are often together and she doesn't say yes. any of these things when they're together so the the first the the truest thing is to say it when they're together and do it and then an one step level one level of re- vulnerability removed is to do it on the phone and parlay it as a fantasy and not as the, this is yeah. actually what I'm going to do and then one step removed from that is this is what your wife would do to you. And your wife is not me, will never be me. And in fact, when you're with your wife years later, I hope you think of me. That just feels like a, a mind game to me and that I don't appreciate as opposed to just trying to remove some vulnerability. Yeah, but there's something she's doing here. See, this is what, see, I, I want to see where this is going to go. I mean, now, if this goes on the whole time, I mean, the rest of the book, oh, fucking drive me insane. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know that it will. I mean, to me, you say they're they're together often. I mean, I, they've had sex, and yeah. I mean, we don't. I mean, they've they they have had in person relations. I mean, but yes. that's this is the one where we've gotten the most detail about so far. And you're right, this one is frustrating in a lot of ways. But if I wonder for me whether what's going to happen going forward now from this point, I don't know. I mean, then he says afterwards, at the end, he wants to see her, but then he's back with his, like, Swedish models or whatever the hell. Is the church scene after this or or before this? Yes. No, after. the church is, right, so. Right, so they do get together. They do get together then. And that's more of. Right, that, that's right. More and that's real. where they say, I love you. So, see, so, that's yeah. what I'm saying. Like, at that point, this was to me, like, the sort of the, the prelude to. Um, Maybe. Could she have done it more directly? Of course. I know. Clearly. Prelude's hard, though, because, I mean, she is talking about a time in Paris then. Who knows, like, when that was. To me, a prelude means, like, it's a steady movement in one direction, and I don't think we're going to get that. I think even their history from their childhood and all of their other encounters, I, I don't think this is going to be – this is going to be more of the Marianne and Connell, like – we're together, we're not together, we're together, we're not together. Oh, you know. definitely. I, I mean, that's what I think. That's what, I mean, even when I was only, which which is fine, you know, that's, that's I. you think that you'll get a straighter line with Alice and Felix? I do, I do. Yeah. yeah I do. Yeah, we'll see. I mean. But this is the part I did want to come back to when I said, when Eileen says something that really kind of st- stuck with me. Now, I don't, as we've talked about in the first episode, I don't stalk my exes. I don't look anybody up. I don't really try to go back in time. But I love, and again, this is the future thinking that I can relate to. I loved this idea of, now forget about the context that this is actually in, right? Like she, the, the mind games, all the stuff that we're talking about, the, that it had to be about sex and whatever. But if you just think about what she's saying, that how you think of me like one time you just start thinking about me doesn't have to be on purpose just a little idea or memory goes through your mind that's all and how that that fact of remembering even when you're happy with someone else in the in the future means it was special and you know what some things are and so that I really did love and that resonated with me that is the indication of what relationships in my past have been more special than others just like if they if one memory comes to mind and again it's nothing little I don't dwell on it I don't want to pursue it or go back to it but it's just like oh like that's a little thing and it's special how you're just explaining it I feel like is 
better than how it comes out in there though yeah, <laughs> Meaning, yeah. well because because you're to your point it sort of comes out as you know i hope when you're having it's like the alanis morissette song like I hope when, yes when you, yes do you, you think, think about me, me? yes <laughs> that's <laughs> kind of how eileen's comes out you're, you're right but i but I, what i took away really from those lines was i i mean i thought it was almost like romantic and sweet and yeah. that i thought was not fucked up in the head totally (laughs) except that i i thought that was romantic and sweet until you're making your other points which is but if you think that then why not be saying in that moment that you'd actually like to be her or the wife or whatever i guess that's a really interesting point you just made me think of it i think i'm thinking of it from simon's point of view i must be thinking about from simon's point of view because here simon is you know in this fantasy he's constructed she's constructed that she he's got going on in his head he is thinking i'm with my wife it's wonderful and then here I am, I just have a moment of, a, oh, Paris, oh, right, remember that? Isn't that sweet? Yes. So when I think yes. of it from Simon's point of view, I'm like, that is sweet and romantic. And then when I think about it from hers, I'm confused as to what she's trying to accomplish here. Fair. I think that's fair. It's <laughs> yeah. from the point of view. I do like after when they go to mass and then she's writing uh, to Eileen again, when you get sort of more of the thoughts that were going through her head and why when there's a whole long but this is after about. the party wait this is after the party yes. she yes. he he says i'm back do you want to hang out she says actually i have plans i never have plans and i have plans tonight and so i can't get together but she kind of takes that information and says oh i know well he'll he didn't have plans because he asked me to do something and so she takes the liberty of dropping by his apartment after the party when she's kind of not feeling great about herself and then they have sex sex. and and she says i love you and he says i love you too very much in between Uh, trying to explain to her that he hasn't had sex in a while and he's really not going to last very long so that's why i was like okay sure what that was i I know exactly what you're talking about and i was like are you trying to kill the moment for us here like or i I don't know it seemed like she was taking I don't know. I have I have issues with with the games that I think she plays. Why say I love you as he's about to come? Clearly, he's gonna think it. Sure, why not? You know, this right. is great. This is wonderful, and not she, the right time. <laughs> yeah, not at all the right time. Not not the most honest time for anybody I, involved. No, in I was just gonna say, is that ever the most vulnerable, honest time? Though. But yeah, so they go to mass together, though, which is interesting after they have sex. I mean, this whole thing about his religion, there's a lot about that, about Simon's faith. A lot is made of it, and I'm not sure how to feel about it. I do like Felix's questioning, like, like is he daft in the head or something? Like, like does he not believe in gays? Like, like asking all the questions of people who question Catholicism, but... but I did like, and again, it is in the context of his faith, but I don't think that's really, that's not what I took away from it, but just how when she's writing to Alice afterwards about what was it about her seeing him in church that made her see him in a new light because she's like, it can't be his Catholicism because I don't even believe in that. Believe so in like, it, right. mm-hmm. Yeah, so and I, I thought this whole part was very interesting because she's trying to wrestle with there was something about that experience of going with him that really changed my perception of him. But it can't be because I have so much respect for his religious beliefs because I'm not even sure I believe in those beliefs. I literally have every page of this email. Dog every page. Every page. Every yeah. page. Yeah. Uh-huh. And I tried to just 
cut it down. Okay, so I don't even know what page it's on because I had other pages within this, but it says it was the seemingly ill-suited combination of sleeping together and then going to mass afterwards. And I think that I think has given me this feeling, the feeling of entering into his life even just briefly and seeing something about him that I'd never seen before and know him differently as a result. And I can totally relate to that. Like when you see just a different side of someone or someone you you have feelings for them or respect for them in one way and then you see them do something else and you're like holy shit or you just see them in a whole new light and, and for her it was like again it was in the context of going to mass but that's not what it was about and there are so many things she kind of says like when when it's the time in mass when they say peace be with you by then I wanted him to mean it I didn't want him to be joking I, I wanted him to be serious as he seemed more serious to mean every word and and again at the end when he thanks her for coming and she says for a second I was afraid he would make a joke out of it just out of awkwardness or nerves and the idea horrified me but he didn't I should have known he wouldn't because it wouldn't have been like him and yeah I think that she is reckoning with her own beliefs versus his staunch identity it can't be shaken no matter what she thinks or doesn't think, it's just who he is. This is just who yes. he is. And she right. likes that about him. I think maybe... Yes, there's something appealing about that or attractive for someone to have, you know, strong beliefs in things or principles or whatever, you know, even if they aren't necessarily ones you agree with. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and especially I will say if for someone like me, someone who is loves change and is drawn to change for myself to meet someone who is so secure in their fixed nature is very appealing. I'm like, wow, look at that. Look at, you know, that's yeah. not you just being stubborn and refusing to do anything differently. This is just Your who you are. Who you fun are. Like fundamentally who you are. And part of uh, fundamentally who I am is someone who doesn't ever stay the same. And so that uh, to be fundamentally who someone else is to be the same all the time is just very interesting and appealing and curious in a good way, not in a, yeah. you know. Yeah. And it's interesting that she chose religion to be the thing that he is sort of fixed uh, and secure in, right? Because, you know, I just feel like a lot of times in, in today's day and age, that can be seen as a little crazy or whatever, but she doesn't portray him that way. And like, there's a certain point where, where I think Alice is actually defending him to Felix. And, and I don't, I don't have the quote, but it's, you know, she's like, he's a Catholic in the sense of like, you know, like the help the sick and, and the do good or not, not like basically he's not a crazy person who, who, you know, is anti this, that, and the other thing, but he's almost taken like the best parts of it and, and embrace them. And, and that's what he believes. And he's secure in that, as you said, it's, it's, it's an interesting choice on her part. Yeah, but it is, I, I, it's interesting that she added it, but it is Simon period, right? Because, you know, you had mentioned it in the first episode that we did, how she's hysterical and falling apart when they're, when she's, a teenager because he's leaving for college and they won't let him talk uh, let her talk to him and he says with absolute absurd certainty we are going to be friends for the rest of our life or whatever he says I mean he is this kind of person who just sees things very clearly mm -hmm. in and believes in them a hundred percent whether or not you can poke holes in his argument 
all day and night, which I, I think I could for all of these things. And yet he doesn't care. He just believes what he believes and that's and that's it. And that, that goes to religion or anything else that he actually believes. So we have that whole scene and we watch her. But then, well, I guess we've been talking about the email and, and all of her feelings around it. But when she is in the church, it's kind of like, well, this is what happens. It doesn't seem quite as as charged as she makes it sound when she's writing to Alice. Did you feel like that? No, yes, yes. I mean, it's yeah, just like, I'm... okay, they, you know, like she gets bored. She like looks up at the thing and and she looks over at him and he's being serious and he's singing and she looks around at other people and it doesn't seem to be having the same impact on her. And now part of that is the point of view. We're just, just kind of say, observing her. Yeah. 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 Which is what makes it interesting. You're sort of just getting the facts and you're seeing the scene. And until you get to the, to the emails where you get in their head, you, that's where sort of the feelings and emotions and thoughts get inserted on top of or layered on top of. And that scene. was a stark difference because yes. it was just a scene in church blah 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 this is not something she does a lot it was kind of interesting you maybe got the feeling that huh was it you know novelty nice and then she's like falling apart talking about her experience and how it impacted her when she's emailing Alice about it I know to the point where Alice is like dearest Eileen your email about hap what happened with Simon brought joy to my withered heart you deserve romance and so I feel does he it's like Alice is like oh Eileen look at this yes yeah she can tell it moved her but when we read it just being there it, yeah, it didn't come across in the exact same way yeah yeah all right I think what so that's it for me that's it yeah I, that's it we say as if as, as if, if that was nothing like we talked for 10 minutes <laughs> I mean oh, oh god Sally. but I do think that we said this was sort of accidental how we cut it off but I do think that this turned out to be a great spot and you mentioned this line earlier but the, like the line of the email that we ended on um about so of course in the midst of everything, the state of the world being what it is, humanity on the cusp of extinction. Here I am writing another email about sex and friendship. What else is there to live for? Love always, Alice. And I, you're right. That's so just a perfect yes. ending. And it it's is, not the it ending. Was. It's just the ending no, of, this, of section. this email and this section. And I'm sure that theme, of course, is going to... It's Sally Rooney, as we said. This is what she writes about. But... And it's called Beautiful World, Where Are You? So somehow they are finding love the beauty and sex and, and yeah. relationships and the beauty of those things in the middle of a crazy world. <laughs> it was a perfect place to end it, but also the fact that they had finally, both in real time in the book, Eileen and Simon were together. And You're right, they'd each had sex. Yes, and um, Felix with, and Alice mm -hmm. had, had gone there, which, which we weren't mm -hmm. sure about. Where, right, where you're right. For them, that was a bigger question mark. It was, and yes. they each have. And now you're right. We don't know where is it going now for each of them. No idea. I can't wait. This has been Pop Fiction Women with Corinne and Kate. If you enjoyed this show, please tell the complicated women in your life and the men who love them. Yes, tell them to listen. And then to follow on Spotify or review and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. And of course, share on social media. Tag us with your favorite books, 
TV shows and movies starring complicated women on Facebook and Instagram at Pop Fiction Women or on Twitter at Pop underscore women. For more coverage of the women you love or to find out if you qualify as a complicated woman, go to popfictionwomen.com. And keep it complicated.